first thing I want to say tonight, I want to talk about um, the Lord gave me this whole word about seven pillars and we kind of been working our way through it. And Matthew 28, but the 11 disciples, verse 16, proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain, which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. <laughs> Sounds like church, doesn't it? Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority. Everybody say all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, everybody say teaching them, to observe all that I've commanded you, for lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you notice he didn't say that he had some authority? Did you notice that the context is that he has all authority? Like, did you notice that the text only makes sense in the context? Because he said, I have all authority, therefore you go. And did you notice that he said, make disciples of all nations, and we've reduced that to make disciples in all nations? That's a Selah. See, Jesus told us to make disciples of the nations, and we have reduced that to make disciples in all nations. Because we haven't figured out how to disciple nations, so we... We think that we're, we're, you know, what makes the Great Commission the Great Commission is you can't do it without the commissioner. But Jesus did not tell us to make disciples in nations. Uh, that's a given. We know we need to make disciples in nations. But the great commandment was to make disciples of all nations. And how many of you know that sometimes we reduce the call to something we can do instead of something we need him to do? And um, I just... I. Um, you know, one of the words I've been carrying in my heart for about four years is that God is causing us to go from being paupers to princes. And it's a, if you've been around at all, if I've spoken in your church, it's pretty much a word I've been carrying because it was a word to me. And, and one of the things that happens is, is that we oftentimes reduce the call down to, what, to, to our own identity. You know, we, we reduce the call of God on our lives down to our identity. And if we have a pauper's mentality, then we, we tend to read the Bible through our own perspective of ourselves. I was thinking about, um, I was reading a book by Bob Mumford, and he was talking about a man who went to see a psychiatrist, and he was having uh, sexual issues in his life, and the psychiatrist said to him, he showed him this, drew this picture of a, a circle on the board, and he says, what do you see? And he said, I see a man and a woman underneath an umbrella having sex, and he's, hmm, well, that's interesting. He drew a triangle. He says, what do you see? He said, I see a man and a woman in a tent having sex. And, wow. So he drew a rectangle and said, what do you see? He says, I see a man and a woman under a blanket having sex. The psychiatrist said, well, you have some serious sexual issues. And the man said, it's not my fault that you draw illicit pictures on the board and then tell me to describe them. <laughs> and it's such a great example of the fact that we don't see the world the way it is. We see it the way we are. And we don't read the Bible the way it is. We read the Bible the way we are. We tend to perceive the, the, the life in the Spirit not so much the way that the Holy Spirit would like us to, but the way that we see ourselves. Are you, are, are, are you, are you getting? And so, um, so anyway, Jesus told us that we were to make disciples of all nations. We were to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to submerge the nations in the, the, in God himself, and we're to teach them all that he commanded us. And um, turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Some of you are still trying to figure out the board thing. You're like, what would I have seen if I saw a triangle? <laughs> I would have, never mind, don't tell anybody. 
<laughs> Isaiah chapter 2, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the son of uh, Amos, the, who saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, it will come about in the last days. Everybody say the last days. That the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, will be raised above the hills, and all the peoples will stream to it. And the people will come in that day, and they'll say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his path. For the law, the, the word law there is actually the word instruction. For instruction will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between nations, and he will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares their steer, and their shears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. That's a pretty amazing verse, isn't it? And um, Bill shared this morning something that we hold close to our heart. It's amazing how you can read verses that talk about in the last days, and if they're bad, then they're for now, but if they're good, they're for the millennium. And and how many of you know that... um, it's pretty important that we deal with our eschatology because God has so anointed us. He's put eternity in our heart, Ecclesiastes 3. And how many of you know that he wants us to live, he wants us to live from the future? Not in the future, but from the future. And so, how many of you know that God finished the work and then started working backwards? In other words, for instance, did you know that Jesus was crucified from where? The foundation of the world. Some people are like, oh, God, you know, Adam messed up and God's all, oh, no, we didn't think of that. No, he crucified, Jesus was crucified from God's perspective before he even created Adam and Eve. And you know, when you got saved, according to, uh, according to Ephesians chapter 1, you got saved where? From the foundation of the world. And so God's speaking to us from eternity and we're, we're, we have an opportunity to live from eternity and, and in other words, to see the end product and work towards that. How many of you know that God envisioned you, He imagined you, and that's what you became? And that the, when, you, when God anoints our imagination, it becomes a prophetic imagination. How many of you know that there isn't anything that's ever been made that wasn't imagined first? Somebody imagined the finished product and worked backwards. Does that make sense? And so, you know, our eschatology is pretty important because the eschatology is is the study of the last days. What we think about the way things are going to end are going to affect the way we walk today. I don't have answers for all of our eschatology, but but one thing I want to say is that when we see great verses where he says, in the last days it will come about that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains, it's pretty important for us to grab on. If we're going to to grab on to some of those other words that are are less than encouraging, it's important that we grab on to those other words that say, this is going to also happen in the last days, and you get to be a part of it. This is just a sideline. I was praying the other day, and I was thinking about David. And David, you know, David broke a whole lot of the laws concerning worship. He set up a tabernacle of David, and you know, you know the story. And this is my message isn't about this, but I, I just I want to just share just a couple of things I've been thinking about and see if I can work them into what we're doing tonight. David sets up a tent. Now you know, on the other side of town, the tabernacle of Moses is still happening. You know that. It's interesting because the tabernacle of Moses, God gave all the instructions about what's supposed to happen there. 
who could come in, how often they could come in, what the tent ought to look like, how big it should be, the colors, everything, right? I mean, down to the, you know, just like you'd build a house, right down to the very details, just like you would hand a contractor, the architect would hand a contractor a a blueprint and say, build it just like this. And if you're going to change anything, come and talk to me. I mean, he did not have room for any of his own ideas in there, right? I'm not being rude, I'm just like, the tabernacle of Moses, God did not give Moses a chance to think. He just said, just build it just like this. Don't think. Just do, he represented the law. Don't think. Just do what I told you. And so he builds it, right? David comes along. He ha- Listen, David lives in the law. He lives in the time of law. You understand that? He's not living on the other side of the cross. He's living in the law. And David... Instead of David, and David takes the, he's still got the tabernacle of Moses there. Instead of moving that to the city of David, he takes and builds his own tent, totally his own idea, takes the Ark of the Covenant, which isn't, it isn't represent the presence of the Lord, it is the presence of the Lord, puts it in the tent and lets the priests, all the priests, as far as we can tell, at least all the Levitical priests, and David, and David's not a Levitical priest, he's from the tribe of Judah, so you got a real problem there. He's letting all the priests, we'll say, definitely a ton more than was ever allowed, to minister 24-7 in the tabernacle of Moses. I mean, David. And here, the people over here are still ministering in the tabernacle of Moses. There's only one problem. God ain't there. But listen, they're doing what God told them to do, and David's doing what God told them what God was silent on. I about, about said that God told him not to. No, he didn't disobey God. God never told him to do that. Now, in, in Amos 9 and Acts, Acts 15, God says, in the last days, listen to this, I'm going to restore what? David, which isn't God's idea. It was David's idea. I mean, Bill's got a great word on this. I, I learned this all from Bill. You, you know what I was thinking? This is just, uh, this is just, listen, I don't know that this is true. Is it all right if I just externally process with you? David was up against the law when he built the tabernacle of David. And then Jesus said, he's a man after my heart. I was like, he's a man after your heart? He broke all your, he didn't break all your laws. He broke many of your laws. What's amazing to me is to me, our, in our day, the book of Revelation is our law. You know, when I read the book of Revelation, I'm talking about like nine chapters out of 22. I see destruction, people dying, judgment. It's like it's in the Bible. It's the truth. And yet we've been called to be a a work of grace and bring light and peace and salt and preservation and love the people and, 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 and and be like Jesus, be friends with sinners and be in their lives. I don't know if I'm even making any sense. I was just thinking about it the other day. I was laying on the floor and I was thinking, you know what David went through with the law and knowing that he had a passion to do something that God didn't say to do because he knew the heart of God. I feel the same way about my eschatology. I read the book of Revelation. I'm going, you know, I don't understand that. I'm not, it's, it's right. It's in the Bible. It's totally true. And it's going to happen. I just like, every time I read that, I'm like, hey, Lord, it feels like it's my responsibility to make sure that don't happen on my shift. I don't know if you got that, but you have to probably think about it. It took me a while to process it. I'm like, 
I'm not at all saying that isn't true. This isn't heresy. I'm like, I just know that all that judgment and people dying and the blood up to the... Like, I don't know how all that works out because the God I relate to doesn't relate to me like that. He relates to me in a loving... I'm even when he gets mad at me, you know. He was mad at me the other day. (laughs) Doesn't God ever get mad at you? Maybe. I'm a pretty tough case. I get a really bad attitude. I was in a certain place not long ago, and Lord's all, I don't like your attitude. You need to change it. I said, well, I'm right. He said, you're never right if you have a wrong attitude. This is kind of a funny story. Flying home from, from um, someplace. I, honest to God, can't remember where it was. It was someplace recently in the last month. And, um, and I always tell my wife I'm going to get martyred at 80. I've been saying it for 10 years. She hates it. Every time she goes, oh, honey, I love you. I say, I'm going to be martyred at 80, so don't get too used to me being around. i got 30 more years. She goes, I hate when you say that. I go, that's the truth. I'm going to Iraq. I'm getting me martyred. I'm going to get me a big old kingdom, and I'm going to get me a big house in the kingdom, and martyrdom gets you to the higher places. I know that. got to be true. I'm flying home. This is uh, probably a week ago or two. And um, the Lord says to me, just out of the blue, I'm in the plane, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm actually thinking about this whole tabernacle of David and the thing. And the Lord says, um, I need you to live to be 100, so you need to get ready and need to take care of yourself because you need to be around when you're 100 because of things I'm doing. I said, Lord, I, I'm getting martyred at 80. <laughs> he said, if you, get, if you die at 80, it won't be called martyrdom, it will be called murdered and you'll get no credit for it in heaven. <laughs> what he said to me. If you die at 80, you won't get, it won't be called martyrdom, be called murder, and you won't get any credit for it in heaven. I'm like, whatever. I hate when he agrees with my wife. It ticks me off. He takes her side all the time. <laughs> so anyway, I better say something. So here we are. We're supposed to be teaching. What am I saying? Uh, yeah, Isaiah 2. Did you notice it says they're going to go to the mountain in the last days? They're going to go to the mountain of the house of the Lord, and he will be established as chief of the mountains. Now, you know that uh, lots of the book of Isaiah are metaphors, the metaphoric kind of language. And when he's talking about mountains there, he's not, I, I don't think he's just talking about, well, you know, there's going to be a mountain in Israel. People are gonna, I think he's talking about the authorities in the kingdom, that he's going to raise up the mountain. The authority of God is going to be raised up in, 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 among, among the other mountains, the other places of authority. God's going to raise up the mountain of God as the chief authority. And what's going to happen? He says they're going to teach us, come, let's go to the mountain of the house of the Lord, um, and they will teach us concerning his ways. Notice it doesn't say that he's, they're going to cons- uh, he'll start over, that he's going to teach us his word, but he's going to teach us his ways. We'll walk in his path for the law. Actually, the word instruction will go forth from Zion. Look at the result. It says uh, they'll render decisions. They'll judge between nations. Isn't this amazing? I, I don't know if you can figure this out, but Jesus said disciple nations. Isaiah saw that way before Jesus said it in Matthew 28. And he says, here's the things that you're going to do. You're going to judge between nations. You're going to render decisions for many people. Um, and then what are they going to do? The result of that is that. The, um, the nations will not lift up sword against nation. Never again will they train for war. Isn't that amazing? 
Are you guys all right tonight? Um, Isaiah 9, this is a very popular scripture around here. It says, it talks about, um, uh, for a child will be born to us, verse 6, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And listen to this, and there shall be no end to the increase of his government, or of what? Peace. Isn't it amazing? Isaiah 2 says that when we, when we teach the people when we teach the people of the world God's ways, the result is they will no longer, no longer will they, no longer will they um, rise up in war. What's the statement he makes? I'm sorry. Yeah, it says nation will not lift up against uh, sword against nation and never again will they learn for war. Isaiah 9 says that the government of God's going to begin to rest on his shoulders. You're his shoulders. He's the head. You're his shoulders. Do you know that? Remember when Jesus rose from the dead and Peter and John ran in there. I'm making this short. Try to make this short. But Peter and John ran into the tomb. And what happened? They saw the cloth that covered his body still lying there. And they called, saw the cloth that that covered his head uh, folded up and and uh, and put in another place. Why? Because when Jesus rose from the, the dead, his head was revealed, but his body was still being revealed. How many of you know that Romans 8 says that God is re- the sons of God are being revealed? And what's happening? And it says his government will rest where? Not on his head, but on his shoulders. And what happens when the people of God begin to rule the nations? Never again will they train for war. What is part of the discipling process of, dis- uh, of discipling the nations? We'll teach them, and the result of that is that there'll be peace. Isaiah 9, 6, and there, and there shall be no end, listen to this, to the increase of his government or of peace. Isaiah said that 500 years before Christ. He said the government's going to start here, and it's going to be an ever-increasing government, and the result of that is that the nations, will have peace. Now, the struggle we have with that is that that feels like it must be in the millennium because we can't figure out how that could possibly happen. But it says in the last days, it's amazing because when Peter stood up in Acts 2 and says, and quotes, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit, we have no problem saying, well, that's for us. But how about this? Jesus did not tell us to disciple people in nations. We know we're supposed to do that, of course. But the Great Commission was to disciple nations. And I want to propose to you that there's some kind of a call coming on us. And one of the reasons why we're learning that we're kings and priests is because kings and priests minister, lead, teach, uh, disciple, develop, discover, deploy kings, presidents, and rulers. We have to have an identity change because the thing that God's called us to is too big for slaves. If we don't become who we're supposed to become, the nations will continue to war. If we, if we learn who we are, we'll begin to disciple them, teach them, train them, and no longer will they train for war. That's what I believe is true. And so um, I think I'm not going to have a lot of time to do this. So I'm just going to give you a repeat of what the Lord gave me. This is a while back. Everything's a while back when you're 50. I'm serious. I think, well, I'll say, well, that happened, you know, three months ago. And Kathy, I sit down. She said, honey, that was two years ago. So I've figured out that I have I live in the timeless zone. I don't live in time. And that's why I can't, you know, when you're in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
You don't deal with the clock. Whatever. Anyway, the Lord gave me seven pillars. Now, I think that this has to do with discipling nations. The Lord told me that he was going to use the church to reestablish the seven pillars. And I didn't know what seven pillars were. But, um, but God said he was going to restore seven pillars. And he told me, this is in the middle of the night. And he told me that, um, that I was to get a pencil or a pen and write them down. So I think it was maybe three o'clock in the morning. I can't even remember the story. Tell you the truth. I can remember telling the story, but I can't remember it. The actual incident slips my mind. So that must have mean it was like at least four months ago. So I got up and I and, and the Lord gave me these seven pillars. And what I didn't realize is that someone gave me this verse later. Uh, uh, Proverbs 9 1 says wisdom has built her house. She has hewed out the seven pillars. Now, I, I hadn't remembered that verse. I'm sure I'd read it, but it's actually January 21st, 2004, when the Lord gave me these. I wrote it down. And, and here they are, and I've read them in our church twice already, so please just bear with me. And I, I hopefully have a few minutes to just touch on one. The Lord gave me the seven, these seven pillars of society. And he said that we were going to be responsible. The church was going to be responsible for reestablishing these seven pillars in our society. And the first one is this, justice. And he gave me this little phrase with each one. Justice, the law is a facilitator of justice. The law only has purpose in bringing about sustaining justice. When a society loses the foundation of justice, the law begins to serve itself. And it starts taking on a life of its own. This creates a culture where peace officers become law enforcement officers and justice courts become magistrates of the law. Judges and juries are now charged with determining whether someone broke the law rather than performed an injustice. And we spent the whole uh, uh, night on that, so I'm not going to go over that again. Peace. The second um, pillar the Lord gave me was peace. And he said this, peace is the foundation of government. The purpose of all government is to facilitate peace. When peace is removed from government, government begins to serve itself. The goal of its officials becomes staying in power instead of extending the borders of peace. And then the uh, third one the Lord gave me was love. Now, do you understand that he was telling me that we're supposed to establish these in the nations? That, that's the point. I hope that you're getting that. Like, these are good personal goals for our own life. But the, it, the Lord didn't tell me that he's establishing us. I'm sure he's doing that. But he said, this is the foundation of society. And you, you, the church, are going to establish this in the earth. The next one is love. Love is the purpose of fatherhood. Fathers are the facilitators of love. When love is lost, fathers become bosses and families become his subjects. Caring and compassion are replaced with sexual perversion and abandonment. Happiness is no longer the fruit of a loving relationship, but instead it becomes the purpose of them. I'm not happy becomes the reason for actions. The next one is honor. Honor is the element of society that allows people to be empowered rather than controlled. Honor is the responsibility of sons. When they, ex- uh, they, exemp- they exemplify respect that results in order. When honor is served instead of serving, it causes leaders to demand honor even when it's incongruent with their character. This results in a culture of, the, of control that is manifest through fear. The, um, what would be the fifth one? The fifth one is truth, and that's the one we're supposed to do tonight. Truth is more than honesty. It's the embodiment, embodiment, embodiment of reality. The fruit of truth is life, and the Word of God is the facilitator of truth. Teachers are the stewards of truth. When truth is absent from a culture, the Bible begins to be served instead of serving. 
This subsequently leads people to learning, but not coming to the knowledge of the truth, resulting in rules of religion being exchanged for the reality of relationship. Righteousness is the sixth one. Righteousness is more than an accumulation of good character choices. Righteousness is the visible expression of the habitation of an invisible yet holy God. Righteousness is, is the personification of the very nature of God being manifest in his, in his, creator, in his creator's creation. Well, I wrote that wrong. Uh, resulting in his likeness em, emulating through his people. When divinity is absent from a culture, godliness is reduced to goodness, which is obtained through discipline instead of a pure heart. Did you get that? Wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to rightly apply knowledge in a way that builds for the future that which is envisioned by the Creator, so that the divine ecosystem of heaven yields life. Rulers are the stewards of wisdom. They are to lead in a way that creates an environment that, re- that draws out and facilitates the destiny of people, both individually and corporately. When the definition of wisdom is reduced to gathering and recalling information, it results in fertility. So tonight I wanted to talk about truth. And, and I feel like, um, how many of you know that the Bible was written with a core assumption? The Bible was written with a core assumption. And that assumption is, is that the person who's reading this word, this letter, will have a relationship with God. Follow me for a minute. When automobiles were built, at this point, most automobiles are built with this core assumption. There will be fuel. How many of you know that if suddenly fuel dried up, that a car would not be the best transportation? How many of you know that a bicycle is better transportation than a car if you run out of fuel? How many know there are better philosophies than the Bible if you don't have the Holy Spirit? How many of you know that a lot of what the Bible says is not true except by the Holy Spirit? And that if you take the Holy Spirit out of the Bible, suddenly you have something that doesn't work. Because the Bible was written with a core assumption in mind. You will have a relationship with God. The Bible was never written to take the place of a relationship with God. It was written so that you would have a relationship with God. How many of you know that you can learn the principles of the, of the kingdom and you can learn, you, when you learn the principles of God, you learn how God thinks. But the only way to know what God thinks is to have a relationship with the prince of the principles. And if you learn so many principles that you no longer have a relationship with God, your principles have become another religion. That's a Selah. You realize the Bible, uh, I don't know if I'm prepared to protect that. I could prove to you that the, that the Bible intentionally contradicts itself. So that you have to have a relationship with God to know when to apply what word. I mean, one that comes to my mind that's very simple is Jesus tells the, the Pharisees, you know what, you don't honor your parents. Because you call all your giving Corbin and you give it all to God and you save none for your parents. You've, dis, you've broke the commandment that the only commandment with a promise, because you have not honored your parents because you give all the money to the church. I think it was three chapters later in the book of Luke. A man, he calls a man. He says, follow me. Probably would have been the 13th disciple. And the guy says, you know, I've got to go, uh, I've got to go bury my dad. He says, let the dead bury the dead. 
That's a very disrespectful statement. The guy says, I need to go back, honor my dad. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Well, how do you know when to apply what? You have to have a relationship with God. The Bible was written to draw you into the relationship with God. You can learn all the principles of the Bible, and you won't know when to apply which one when. Because the Bible was written with a core assumption, you will have a relationship with God. And whenever you learn the Bible in such a way that you don't need a relationship with God, whenever you have all the answers, you don't understand the questions. Because the Bible wasn't written to answer all your questions. It was written to bring you into a relationship with God who has all the answers to all your questions. The Bible was written in such a way you need a relationship with God to understand it. You know, you got James about works and, and, you know, and, and, uh, and grace. Works and faith. You know? On one hand, it's like Paul talks about, you know, it's not by works, it's only by faith. And that's how Abraham, he's, he considered God righteous. And, that, uh, and James is all, oh yeah, well, if you don't have works, I don't believe you have faith. And he goes on to talk about works. Well, when do I work and when do I rest? Well, you have to have a relationship with God to know that. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. Hmm. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent. Oh, I don't know what it says. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Yeah, here it is. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurate, accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling the word of truth. What is that? Okay, here we go. This will mess some people up. How many of you know the Bible's not always true? Remember in Luke 4, when Jesus goes into the wilderness? And what does the devil tempt him with? The Word. It is written. The angels. He will give his angels charge concerning you. Throw yourself off this pinnacle. It is written. He tempts him with what? The Word of God. How many know when the Word of God is in the hands of the enemy that it's not true? How many know the most powerful weapon against Christians is religion, and religion is the Word without the Spirit? Jesus said, you study the Word because you think of them you have life, but you didn't get to me. That's why He said the Word kills, but the Spirit gives life. What happens when when the evil spirit gets a hold of the Word of God? He uses it against you. Lots of you are sitting... Did you get that? A lot of people are sitting here today and you have no confidence because of a Bible verse. The Word out of season. The Word spoken against you. The Word... Did you get that? You failed in your life. You did something dumb. Maybe it wasn't your fault. Maybe it was all your fault. Maybe you got a divorce. And you're like, you know what? I can never be the same. I've been... You know what? I'm a second-class Christian because I failed. Well, it's the truth. Or is it? It's the Word. But in order for it to be the truth, it would have to be handled by the Holy Spirit. And I see people all the time have no confidence. And you talk to them, and they quote you verses that go through their minds. Now, how many of you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit's convicting them of their sin, and they haven't repented. And they need those verses. 
You can't just go in and say, well, you know, if it's something, if something against you, it can't be the Holy Spirit. It couldn't be the Holy Spirit. If you haven't repented, it sure is the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's why he's, he goes over and over in your mind, because you haven't repented. You haven't changed, the way, you haven't changed your lifestyle. And so on, so on. How many people have you met? I've met thousands of people who have repented. That was 30 years ago. And they're still living in their own stuff. I'm a second-class citizen because 30 years ago, I was 18, I got married, I got divorced, and I was wrong. I committed adultery, and they're still, you know, they're remarried, and they're not, they don't, they have, they're living in no blessing because God can't bless my new marriage because then, and they quote scriptures, it's like, okay, it's over. You're forgiven. And when you talk to them, they, it's so much easier to get an unbeliever Happy? They don't know the whole Bible. They only know the one I told them. The pastors all know what I'm talking about that are here because we deal with it every day. We get people in our office like, okay, that was 15 years ago. I know I'm still sorry for it. Well, don't be, get a life. But the Bible says, if you give me that Bible one more time, I'm going to slap you. It's misapplied truth and it's killing you. It's in the Bible. But it isn't for you. Because it's out of season. How many know it says, a word in right seasons, like apples of gold and settings of silver. People are dying because of the word. Pharisees knew the word. Jesus standing right in front of them. They can't figure out it's him. We're supposed to bring the truth. Not the word. The truth. The truth is the word in by the spirit. Oh, start over. I messed that up. That's such a good point too. I hate that. One more time. The truth isn't the word. The truth is the word by the spirit. People quoting verses all over. People, how many know the world thinks that God's an angry man that wants to kill him? Has one way that he deals with anybody who screws up. You're dead. That reminds me more of my stepfather than my heavenly father. I'm, I'm, do you know that? The world sees a church. The, 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 we, the church portrays God as having a single dimensional mindset. If anything goes wrong, he, he can fix it. He just kills you. So, you know, if you got an abortion, you're dead. You committed adultery, you're dead. You got a problem with pornography, you're dead. Can you imagine your daughter coming home and saying, Dad, you know, I had an abortion and I didn't tell you. I was afraid. I mean, it would be a very stupid father to get angry about then. Are you following me? It's the true. It's it's the word, but I mean, you know, I'm not sure that's helping anybody come to God. I don't know. Just what I believe. It's it's the word by the Spirit. That's the truth. Holy Spirit, big S. 
And how many know that it's the word that's current? There's the current word of God. Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, not precedes, not preceded, but proceeds out of the mouth of God. How many know you have to have, you have to be current with God to get living words from God? They didn't say the word that preceded. He said the word that proceeded. How many of you know that some of us are living on old words that have been dead a long time ago? God told me this. So I'm going to do it. It's like, man, you know what? You should have obeyed 15 years ago. There's a new word. That's an old word. Forget it. Abraham gets a word from the Lord. Take Isaac up at the top of the mountain and, 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 off, and offer him up as a sacrifice. He gets a proceeding word from God. But by the time he gets to the top of the mountain, there's a, the proceeding words become a preceding word because he's got a new word. And the new word is, don't sacrifice Isaac. I've provided a sacrifice for myself. Was the first word not true? No, the first word was a heart test. I mean, you know, sometimes when God prophesies to us, rather than determining our destiny, he's testing our hearts. <laughs> And so the truth is something that's current. It's the word. It's the it's the word of God, but it's current. How many know that if 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 Abraham if Abraham wasn't current with God, Isaac be dead. That words. Let's see. I've never said this before. I think it's true though. Words have a season. I'm following. Disengage. Talk. Words have a season. And sometimes the Lord gives us a word. And then, you know, out of season, we decide to obey the word. It's like, okay, the word had a season. The season's over. You messed that word up. You didn't do it. You should have. Okay, repent. I'm sorry. Now there's a new word. Don't try to go back to the old word and crucify Isaac. It's over. The season's over. Get a new word. Try again. I know there's emphasis on going. Listen, I understand that the balance. Here's, here we go. Here's the balance. Here's where you have to have a relationship with God. Sometimes the Lord does tell us, what's the last thing I told you to do? Go obey that and I'll give you something new. Right? We've been teaching that for years. And that's, that's the truth. That's the truth we need to hold to. But here's another truth. Sometimes the season's over for that. And you need the Holy Spirit to know when to do what. Because obedience is very important to God. How many of you know? He doesn't want no spoiled brat, rebellious kids. But sometimes the time to obey has passed. And now you have an obedient heart. But to try to act on something that's so out of season, God's all, now there's a new word. Something's new happening. I've never said that before, but I think it's true. Isaiah 28.10 says, um, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. How many of you know that truth has dimensions? A couple years ago, I had a dream. And in the dream, I heard the Lord say, I'm giving you a new operating system. I'm like, what? I'm not a computer guy, but I understand there's different kinds of operating systems. And first thing I saw is in the vision. It's actually a dream. First thing I saw is I saw words.
going by a page. They were going like on a page, like you would read them on a page, like normally read them on a page. And I saw words like holiness, glory, faith, you know, just words. I saw them in a line on a page. And then this voice spoke in the dream, and in the dream he said, I'm giving you a new operating system. And as soon as he said that, the vision changed, and words were falling from the sky in rows. Kind of like you would see Chinese writing. It was just this way. And the Lord said, Behold, a new operating system. And then he said this, with the old oper- he said, I can't give you new revelation with the old operating system because it'll destroy you. And I'm like, Okay. And when I woke up in the dream, I honestly didn't know what all that meant. And so I, I was praying over that. I was kind of like pondering what that could mean. And the Lord began to talk to me about the fact that there was levels of truth. And that this new operating system, what the, the system I had, had all truth the same level, the same dimension. And the Lord said, no, that's not how my truth is. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. And the Lord says, I need to give you a new operating system so I can give you new revelation. But if I don't give you, if I don't put order in my word, you'll kill people with this. And he began to give me some real practical illustrations. In fact, the first illustration I had was very personal. The Lord said, you know, you've watched people, and this is in my counseling experience. And the Lord talked to me about probably all of us who raised, raised children. He said, there's fathers and there's friendship. There's friendship and there's fatherhood. And the Lord said, what happens when you see people reverse those? And, you, and they put friendship over fatherhood. And I, I know what he's talking about, because I just recently counseled somebody in that day, uh, uh, a, a few weeks before, where I was talking to them about that very thing, that they were trying so hard to be friends with their children, they took discipline out of their, uh, out, uh, um, out of their um, responsibility because they put friendship above fatherhood. And the Lord said, what happens when you, when you reverse the order of truth? It becomes the wrong version of truth or perversion. What happens when you take sexuality that is good and God said it was good and, and, you know, the Song of Solomon and all the stuff that we have. There's lots written about sexuality in the Bible. But what happens when you take it outside of marriage? It becomes a perversion. It becomes the wrong version of something that was once true. Are you with me? And then, and then there's, there's levels of truth. Like God said there was faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so God goes, okay, there's faith, hope, and love, but love has, love belongs on top of faith and hope. That's why Galatians says that, um, that faith works through love. What happened? Have you ever seen people, just for a second, just think about what I'm saying. There's, there's hundreds of these, but think, have you ever seen anybody moving in faith and having their love faith thing reversed so that they violate relationships to get people saved, miracles done. And it's like, you feel violated. It's like, oh, thanks, my back's well, but it didn't demonstrate. That it did, listen, Jesus was moved by compassion and therefore he healed people. What happens when somebody's moved by faith and not the love of God? They violate relationships when they're moving in their ministry. And guess what? They get people healed, so they demonstrate the power of God, but they don't demonstrate the, the, the personality of God. Remember Jonah? What's the story of Jonah? God gives a judgment word to Nineveh. You know what the story's about? It's about, jo- about Jonah being happy about it. God goes, you have the right word, but you have the wrong heart. And when God reverses this, 
his, you know, when God re- reverses the word and says, no, I'm not going to do this, they repent. Jonah's mad. God goes, yeah, that's the problem, Jonah. What happens when you reverse love and faith? Are you getting it? What happens when you say, wives submit to your husbands, husband love your wives, and you, you reverse the order like that? All of a sudden, you teach people that, that God wants you to submit to someone who's abusing you and your children. You ever grew up like that? I grew up with two men like that. I would lay at my, I've told the story hundreds of times, I'd lay at my mother's door when my stepfather beat my mother, and my mother would cry out for help from the time I was eight years old. Well, that's bad. The problem is, is that you can come into some Christian counselors and they'll tell you that's all right. Well, you know, you just got to sacrifice because sooner or later he'll find Christ. So in the meantime, he might kill you. It's a perversion. It's all about sacrifice, you know. Jesus died on the cross. Well, you died at the baptismal tank. I don't know why you're getting crucified again. That's what I believe. Anyway. <clears throat> it's important that we get the word that's carried by the Spirit and call that truth. Because what the world's heard is the word without the Spirit. And they figured out that we're the people who point out all their bad stuff. And then we try to invite them to a God who loves them, but yesterday we told them God wants to kill them all. It was a very confusing message. Is it true? Yeah, but be careful how you represent truth. In season. Ham told the truth about his father being naked and drunk and lived under a curse. Why do you do that? Tell the truth. Ah, but there was a greater value, and that was honor. He dishonored his father and told the truth. Are you seeing what I'm just... I mean, I'm just giving you some examples. It's like, the guy told the truth, he didn't lie, and he got cursed. Why did he do that? Because he was supposed to cover his father. Well, how did he know to do that? It should have been in his heart. Well, the Canaanites all came from that. That's why God drove them out of the land. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. How many know that you're supposed to be in the flesh? We need to get in the flesh. We need to get the Word in the flesh. So that people can read it on our hearts and not in our mouths. Paul said, You are my letter. It's written in your hearts. Observed by all men. I mean, the truth isn't something you remember, it's something you become. If you can just repeat it and not become it, that's religion. Whatever you repeat that you don't become will become religion. Acts 7.38 says this. This is the one who was in the uh, congregation of the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to them from Mount Sinai who was uh, with our fathers, he received, listen to this, living oracles to pass on to you. He received living oracles to pass on to you. 1 Peter 1, 23, You have been born again, not of the seed which is 
perishable, but imperishable, that is through, listen to this, the living, enduring Word of God. John 5.39, you search the Scriptures because you think in them that you have life, and it is they that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. How many of you know that, I missed the best scripture, uh, Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. How many know the word of God is living and active? It's living and active. You know, um, when I first came to Bethel, one of my jobs was to pick up the speakers at the airport. And I, when I first came here, I didn't know any of the speakers. So Bill would say, okay, why don't you go pick up Bobby Carnes at the airport, take him to the hotel, get him ready, whatever. Okay, so how do I know what he looks like? I've never seen him before. So I'd get a picture, usually on the brochure that we put out, take the picture, and I'd put it in the front seat. Now, how many of you know that that's not Bobby Connors? That's a picture of Bobby Connors. And I'll know him when I've seen him, because I've seen a picture of him. I'll, see the real, I'll know the real thing because I've seen a picture of it. How many know that this leads me? <laughs> see, the Word of God is living and active. This is print on a page. I can put it in a copier and reproduce it. This leads me to the Word of God. I'll know it when I see it because I've got a picture of it right here. A lot of people get the picture and they're carrying it around their wall. I got the word of God with me. No, that's just the picture of it. You haven't. That's why you can't you can't just remember it, you have to become it. <laughs> you can't I can write down the, the Bible verse. But it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than two two-edged sword. How many of you know the children of Israel they heard words but but Peter but Acts says that they got living oracles. First Peter says that you were saved through the living enduring word of God. And Jesus told the disciples, I mean the Pharisees, you're searching the scriptures but you didn't find me. See the scriptures as a road map to the reality of the word. They should have known the word so well they go, hmm, that's got to be him. Looks just like him. How many know you can get this and not get him? You know, if repeating Bible verses actually release faith in you, the Pharisees would have been the most faith-filled people in the whole world. They would have been the most spiritual people, I mean, truly spiritual, not pretend spiritual people in the world. They memorized, you know, to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the whole Bible. Memorize, I mean, I'm happy I can remember a few verses and memorize the whole Bible. Can you imagine memorizing Bobby Connor's face? And you can't pick him out as he comes off the plane? Jesus said, you're blind. See, the only way you could look at the picture that long and not recognize his face is to be blind. God's going to give us a new operating system.
He's going to start telling us stuff about himself no one's ever heard before. It says, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, I know that some people have reduced that to mean everybody in the world is going to hear about Jesus. I believe that's true. I believe that's true. But how many know Scripture has dimensions? Did you know that? Did you know that Scripture intentionally has double, triple, and quadruple meanings? Do you know that the Scripture, if you can picture this, the Lord gave me this vision. I'm sorry, if this is heresy, someone fix me later. And I will totally submit that the Lord showed me that every word, if you could picture a word like the word, uh, let's say the word holy, that we see it on a page as the word holy. But the Lord gave me a vision of it that it was like written in cubed. Three-dimensional, and that it that it had all sorts of dimensions to the same word. On purpose, like God's so brilliant that He's writing things in a way that they have in, on purpose, like not by accident, not by coincidence, that they have. And I'm just using this number as a silly number. They have like 16 different ways that they should be interpreted. Because God and the Holy Spirit, when He leads you into it. Like, Bill will have a revelation about something. This has happened many times. And he'll share something, and I'll be like that. And a year later, I'll have the same exact verse, a totally different revelation. Doesn't make his revelation not true. It's like, oh, look at it from over here. Huh? Makes mine not true. (laughs) Sorry, I was trying to be honoring. I said it wrong. You know what I mean. you You get revelation and about the same exact passage. (laughs) <laughs> the same, are you getting this at all because the truth has dimensions to it and God's so brilliant that he writes things in code Proverbs says this that the Proverbs were written so that you could understand the riddles of the wise no the wise and their riddles God actually writes things in riddles but, you know, what the strange thing is, usually every riddle has a first level of truth that if you're not hungry, you'll only get that dimension. And you'll leave thinking you know what it means. Because God actually wrote the scriptures for people who are hungry and humble. And could I add this word? Curious. Have you ever read the scripture and you're like, you've heard taught on it lots and lots of times and you read it in the Lord's Hall. If you ask me, I'll show you what that really means. And you start talking to him about it, and he's like, you start getting things that like no one's ever taught you. Like, uh, all this is because the Lord wants to release new revelation. And you know what I mean by new revelation? I'm talking about he wants to reveal himself to us. Our lover wants to tell us about himself in ways no one's ever known in their whole life. I'll end with this really quick story. Um, there's a uh, our team in in um, Mexico. Uh, is led by uh, a guy and a gal named Denny and Danette. And Denny is a really, they're both very godly people. Denny's not really prone to angels and that sort of thing. I mean, he's not, he's not a mystic. Maybe that's the easiest way to say it. He's not a mystic. We have a lot of people that are like more mystical, and they see angels and all. Denny's not like that. He tends to be, he tends to be um, a, kind of like I would call him like a real word guy. Holy Spirit um, came 
this was last year, and put him in a trance. And he was in a trance for hours. And I'll, I'll get the number wrong, but it was several hours. He was completely gone. They took him, lift, um, carried him, and put him on his bed. And he stayed tranced like, I think it was for like four hours, but I could be wrong. It was hours. While he's in a trance, two angels came and talked to him. And, and, they, and this is the revelation they told him. They shared with him for however many hours he's out. They said, we were sent um, from God to you to tell you that God is doing a new work in, in, the, in the world and in the kingdom. In the kingdom and in the world. And this is the new work. You're going to be right in the middle of it. You're going to be a part of it. And here's the new work. He's going to give, it's going to come through revelation. Oh, no, he said there's going to be transformation. It's going to come through revelation. It's going to be coming through the revelation of two things. Who God is to you and who you are in God. And that was the whole trance. And the angels talked to him about it for however many hours he was out. He woke up from the vision and he wrote me an email. He said, you know, you, you guys are always talking about this revelation. He said, the angels visited me and told me that they were going to begin to release revelation about who God is. And they, to, and they told him that, that things people have never known were going to be revealed. And you know something? One of the things that the angel was talking about is that you were made in the image of God. So every time you learn about God, you learn about you. Because you were made in His image and in His likeness. Every time there's a new revelation of God, there's a new revelation of who you are. And then he said that revelation was going to cause transformation in the world. How many of you know that we're salt and light? We're preservation. How many of you know the world doesn't get what they deserve? They get what we deserve. We're preservation. Take the salt out and see what happens. Remember Joseph's brothers? Joseph came into Egypt. Joseph's brothers and 70 of his family members came into Egypt. Guess what they got? They did not get what they deserved. Because they would have got punished. They tried to kill him. You know what they got? The best of the land. You know why? Because Joseph's personal victory became a corporate covering. And guess what? Those people did not get the judgment words that they deserved. They got protected. You're salt. The world doesn't get what it deserves because you're there. How many of you know when, Lot, when Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, when God was bringing judgment words to Abraham, Abraham talked God down to ten. He finally had to leave. But remember what happened with Lot's wife? She turned into a pillar of salt. Why didn't she turn into dust? I believe that I believe personally that Lot's wife wasn't evil, but she was good. I believe she was an intercessor who didn't, couldn't let go when God did. I believe she turned into a pillar of salt because prophetically she was the one, her and Lot were preserving that city. And I believe that her own ministry killed her because when, when God let go, she couldn't. I don't think she looked back because she wanted sin. I think she looked back because she knew that she was preserving that city. You're a preservative in the world. The world doesn't get what it deserves because you're there. When God prophesies judgment against San Francisco, we need to move in there as fast as we can. And your light. You know what light is? Revelation. Your revelation. The world, listen to this, this is, I've never said this before. The world is going to really see who the Father is. Through our encounters with God, we're going to have a new revelation 
of who the Father is, and we're going to find Him to be a loving God who grieves over His people, His earth. And we're going to begin to represent Him. We're going to begin to bring light. We're going to begin to bring revelation of Him in a whole new dimension, and the world's going to run to us because of it. Because they're going to know Him as a loving Father for the first time. That's a prophecy. They're going to know Him as a loving Father because of the new revelation that's coming. That's why they're coming to the mountain of the house of the Lord. I know that to be the truth because He just told me that. And Lord, I just pray right now for each of us. Because we need a revelation. I need a revelation. Maybe you don't. I need a revelation. God, I need a deeper revelation. Sorry. I need a deeper revelation of who you are and who I am in you. And Father, we need a deeper revelation. We need the truth, not just the word, but we need the word by the Spirit. We need the truth. Lord, I pray that you begin to release truth and it become a pillar in our society. That we would be light and the light would be the truth. It would be emanating. We would represent the Father the way the Father really is. The love of the Father. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God didn't come into the world to judge the world, but that the world be saved through Him. Lord, I pray for this deeper revelation of the love of God. I pray that there be such a deep revelation of the love of God that it would totally transform our theology, our philosophies, our, our, our core belief systems, and the way we behave. God, I pray for that in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for that in the name of Jesus. Hmm. I'm sorry, we're not supposed to move on just yet. Just a minute. Just, just open up your heart. Listen, can I say something to you? This isn't. Some of you are trying to process this from your head, and, and that'll work out. Work, that'll work out. But receive it in your heart. Let the Lord just touch your heart, and it'll work out in your head. I, I know I'm a head processor myself. I hear something. I don't want it to sink into my heart until it until it, it goes through the it goes through my screen like okay this all makes sense, but it needs to start in our heart and work to our heads. And Lord, I just pray for that that the revelation would touch the inner man, and I pray for um, let's see Ephesians one eighteen says that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. That word enlightened is the word photosynthesis. Lord, I pray that there would be sunlight. Malachi says. The sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, would rise on us with healing in his wings. Lord, I pray the photosynthesis would happen right now in our hearts. As your sun rises and we get enlightened. In the name of Jesus, Lord, just release that in all of our hearts. God, help us. Help us to receive the truth in our hearts. Lord, help religion to be broken anywhere it's got roots in us. In the name of Jesus, and help us into a deeper relationship with the Son of Righteousness. Amen.